Shabbat Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Virtual House Church. So glad you guys could join us here today. And if you're new to the Virtual House Church, you can go to virtualhousechurch.com is our website, virtualhousechurch.com. Switch this over here. Is our primary website was created originally back in 2012 and 13 in the process of getting a complete overhaul. And I'm updating them as we go along here. So all the links all the way up to this week, which is numbers week 42, uh, some say it's 42, 43. Um, I'm not prepared to do 43, but if, uh, Jake and Juan Carlos want to make any comments on, uh, Maasai, uh, we can do that here today. But, uh, um, I've noticed a lot of people are doing these two, um, uh, today, uh, at once. Um, I only updated the page for week 42. I didn't update 43 yet, but we'll see how it goes today. Uh, so going back to the top here, if you click on, uh, for instance, who we are, it takes you to the new about us page. It tells you a little bit about Sheila and I, what we're about here at the virtual house church. And, uh, if you scroll down below that, You'll see the Virtual House Church store, and here we have a calendar by Kevin and Amanda Roberts. This is a free PDF. You, you can click on that to view it and download it and print it off if you want to, or if you want to get professionally printed copies, you can click on the link there and go to their website and order them, both domestic and international. Uh, you can do that there. And below that, we have Juan Carlos's calendar, slightly different, uh, and everybody's just doing the best we can with how we understand the scriptures and how to reckon the Hebrew calendar. Uh, you know, when the Sabbath begins and the feast and what day and all that kind of stuff and how to reckon the year. So uh, we've got two options here for you to pray about and decide uh, which you think is best or if either one of them are. Frankly, there are other uh, options out there. So you can uh, certainly go down a, a lot of interesting studies in that regard. Below that are uh, the Torah study workbooks, which you can get on Amazon, typically faster uh, or, uh, yeah. And if you want to save some money, you can get them cheaper, uh, by getting them all together and ordering them through us. I will say, uh, I have to wait on Amazon to get them to me. So that's why sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but I am currently stocked up and all the orders, except for one that just recently came in have gone out. So if you have ordered, uh, actually that was, that order wasn't even a workbook. So all the workbook orders that have come in to me have gone out. So you're waiting on the post office to get them to you. Uh, they are in the mail. Below that, if you want to get them instantly, you can get the PDF versions of them right there. And then we have the Ephraim Awakening DVD wrong below that that contains all of the resources you see here, including the Torah studies in PDF format the workbooks. Uh, I added something new down here, uh, emergency preparation plan. This is something that's actually fairly heavily uh, on my heart today. Um, and it may even relate to this week's Torah portion, but Ezekiel 33 says, again, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, and we know who the word of the Lord is. The word of the Lord is an entity of being. The word became flesh. We know as Yeshua or Jesus in the New Testament, son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, when I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, 
if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, that whosoever heareth the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be on his upon his own head. So in other words, if the watchman sees danger and he sounds the alarm and you don't do anything about it, it's on you. Uh, whereas he heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. See thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Now, I'm not going to be so bold as to declare that I've been made a watchman as Ezekiel has, uh, but I feel a certain responsibility as sort of the shepherd of this flock here at the virtual house church. You know, I'm hosting this here on my channel and uh, I got to tell you guys, I've been seeing a lot of stuff and you know, I want to be careful. I don't want to get into a situation where I'm promoting fear or anything like that. But um, I, I believe that the writings on the wall, I think anybody who's really paying attention can see it for their, for themselves that we are headed for some interesting days ahead and uh, I'm just going to play this video right here uh, below. Military urging officers to get their houses in order. I've sped it up a little bit. If you want to listen to it in real time, you can uh, just click it yourself and watch it uh, you know, on your own time. But uh, I've sped it up to 1.5 so we can get through this a little bit quicker. It's only about six minutes long. So um, take heed. All right. Hello, everyone. Today is the 23rd of July, 2021. And I thought I'd better put this up. I have a, a really good source that has a contact with both uh, active and retired military. Of course, I'm, I'm no longer with the military, but uh, I'm, I'm very aware of uh, how, how the military operates, obviously. And as I've been telling you for a long time, uh, things are getting really nasty. Uh, we, we see what's happened with the supply chains. With, and I mentioned this yesterday, the ships uh, offshore, the, the containers sitting and not being able to get transported or getting materials uh, transferred to them, the rail lines being uh, basically uh, slowed down, even stopped. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, they're turning off the economy. And I think anybody knows that. I went to get gas this morning in, in Salt Lake City at a Costco. It's now $4 a gallon for premium, which is what I use in my car because I'm trying to I'm trying to extend its life. But at any rate, uh, the point is, is that the shelves are getting bare. Uh, Energy is getting more scarce. Uh, we, we have all of these different things happening with uh, what apparently are attacks on the grid. Hello, Marshall, how are you doing? Attacks on the grid, uh, cyber attacks, uh, warnings from, from the elites that there are going to be uh, all of these different uh, cyber pandemics, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, as I said, they're attacking us on multiple, multiple fronts in depth and with full spectrum dominance. So uh, I've been watching as people have been warning about the problem with uh, the shutdowns and the, and the supply, especially food and basic necessities. Well, uh, I received a a bit of information yesterday and further this this morning that uh, on military on certain military bases and I imagine this is throughout the entire military and I don't know about the enlisted ranks okay but apparently amongst the officers especially the higher up officers uh, 04 05 etc they're being told to get their houses in order with what's coming now uh, what they're saying is is that they need to go out and get food water and supplies now now you'd think that being on military installations they would have access because the military has to continue taking care of their, hi, hi Mrs. Cat, have to take care of their people. But that may not necessarily mean the families, especially in a, in a, in a bad situation. But whatever's going on, uh, whatever it is, with the movement of materials, the movement of military materials, I talked about uh, seeing uh, some U.S. military 
tactical vehicles being stockpiled in places where they normally aren't. And a lot of people were saying, oh, this is because, uh, you know, this is when they're doing their, their summer uh, training. Uh, I know what happens in summer training, and these, these are not for summer training. Like, that's not what's happening. They're repositioning vehicles. Uh, they're get, something's getting ready to go down, I guess. And with this situation with them telling, to get their, telling the military officers to get their, uh, their houses in order and to get supplies, food, water, et cetera, for themselves and their families is critical. So that's inside information. Uh, no, I'm not going to give you the source. I think if you're smart enough, and I think most of you are, despite the trolls out there, that uh, if, you, if you're watching any of this going on, you can see it anyway. You don't need me to tell you this, but the additional information that the inside military folks are, are saying, get ready, uh, you got to get, get yourself supplied because this is going to go south real quick. I don't know why. Uh, it could be a, a situation with China. It, it could be that, uh, uh, you know, Biden's invited the UN in. We're seeing what apparently are some uh, uh, UN identifications here and there. I, I don't know that for sure. I, I don't have direct information on that, but this is direct information that that inside the military, amongst the upper officer ranks at, at any rate, whether it's official or not, I doubt, if, I doubt it's official. I don't think this is coming down from SECDEF or, or from uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs or anybody like that. This is just people in the know in the military that are warning their buddies, their officer friends, you better get ready because this thing's going south right now. Get everything you need now. Don't wait. So there are military families right now, at least in the upper officer ranks, that are hitting the Costco's, the Walmart's, the Sam's Clubs, et cetera, trying to get their stuff together. Uh, we see the shortages in the UK right now. They're talking about it right now. The entire lockdown that's going on there, the unjustified things that are happening over all of this. As I said, and, and this, this video, I shouldn't even be putting it up this way because it'll probably be flagged, right? But this is the quickest way to reach everybody. Record this thing down now. This is the warning. I've been talking about it for a long time. Get yourselves ready as best you can, okay? All right, I'm going to go. Uh, they're not on our side. Nobody in the government's on our side. Nobody in the corporations. We've been marked for elimination. It's pretty obvious. See y'all later. All right, uh, there's that video right there on this page. And uh, there's a video right here by Zach Bauer. Uh, of course, he's all about homesteading and all that. And, of course, we realize not everybody can do homesteading, but uh, he's got some really valid points in this video here. I'm not going to play these other two videos, but you can watch them for yourself about the food lines and things that are coming and th things you don't want to have to deal with, guys. You just, you're not going to want to deal with this stuff. Um, how bad is it going to get? Get ready for the worst time of your life. Another video here. Again, I'm not trying to peddle fear porn or anything like that. I'm just looking around and feeling a sense of responsibility that if I don't say anything, then it's going to be on my head. So you could do with it whatever you want. You could write it off, say it's not worth your, your attention, or you could take heed, start looking around for yourself, pray about what you should do, uh, and go from there. But I wanted to make some resources available to you on this site right here. Get some food. Regardless of whether all that stuff is true, get some food, guys. You know, if it's Costco or whatever, uh, if you want long-term storage, it will last up to 25 years. If you're concerned about you know, uh, dietary uh, laws, you know, in scripture, kosher and all that kind of stuff. Just read through the ingredients. But uh, you can get stocked up on food that will last a long time. You know, uh, if something immediate happens, you know, you might want fresh food that you can get like at, you know, your local grocery store, Sprouts or Costco or what have you. But if you want stuff that you can store and, and have it for a while for whatever may be uh, up ahead, this may be a great resource for you as well as seeds. I think they're probably sold out on seeds, but get seeds, guys. You know, uh, I know uh, uh, for a while there anyway, I don't know if they still are, but Home Depot had a, a really good selection of organic seeds uh, as well as places like Sprouts. Um, so get seeds. I'm telling you, get seeds. 
below that uh, is this is a pretty cool rain barrel kit you can get you know, can either buy a barrel or use a garbage can or whatever hook up this deal to your gutter uh, and get rainwater store water you can get barrels like this these are all websites that uh, all these pictures link to websites to, that that I've used before and trust myself so uh, you know if you click on these it'll take you to the various places to get this stuff of course you know, if you're getting rainwater and it's coming off your roof whatever you might want to get a purifier so that you can you know, purify your water and of course storage bins are great for a lot of things but i found that you can actually you know even if you're living in an apartment and can't do the homestead thing you can get some soil put it in this thing get some seeds put it in this thing and get yourself a little garden with at least some food you need to do something guys do something to prepare for the days ahead because it's looking really scary quite frankly again i'm not i'm not trying to you know freak everybody out here but you know, I, this scripture was ringing in my ear this morning, and I'm like, okay, Father, you know, I'm just going to say it. You guys do what you want with it, but I've sounded the alarm. Okay, enough said on that. Uh, let's go up a little bit higher here. Uh, next thing down, statement of faith. It's just what it sounds like. It's what we believe here at the Virtual House Church, Defending Messiah, a very comprehensive webpage with a ton of information on the Messiah. And I've tried to do my best to use primarily Old Testament sources, what we call the Old Testament you know, uh, Torah and the prophets, because that's what Yeshua himself did. That's what the apostles were doing. That's what the good Bereans were doing. They were searching the scriptures to see if the things they were hearing was true. And they, the scriptures they were searching were not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the epistles of Paul. They were reading from the Torah and the prophets. So this is all with quick reference links right here. You know, who's the suffering servant? Click on that and it drops you right down to that section right there. So you know, if you didn't want to read the and watch all the videos on the entire page, if you just want to, if you're just interested in, you know, specific things uh, and divide it up by topic, you know, those are the quick, quick reference links for you right there. Coming out of Babylon, again, it's another very comprehensive webpage for those who especially are new to this. What does it mean to come out of Babylon? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath and the feasts and all that kind of stuff? Lots of resources on this page. Easily, you can spend a month on this page. Uh, and I recommend you do. Lots of good stuff there. Torah Fellowship. If you're looking to actually get with people in person, uh, you can do so at this link right here. This is a it takes a few seconds to load, but this is a plugin put together by 119 Ministries. And uh, you know the way it works, you just zoom in. Let's uh, let's go down here into uh, Singapore. I've been to Singapore. Uh, click on uh, one of these tags right there, and Ben Ben's there in Singapore, probably looking for fellowship. A lot of other people here, and this is not a lot, but you know a bunch of other people here in the general vicinity so you can uh, get with people there um, United States wow lots of stuff a uh, lot lots of tags here in this country uh, you know you, you got to really zoom in and start finding spaces chances are there's probably somebody within an hour drive or so uh, of you that's likely looking for, for fellowship as well and, and in that regard you know yeah I realize the the way the economy is right now everybody's struggling you know so if you're freaking out, oh, I can't get six months supply of food. Well, you know, get a month, get three months, whatever. Or, you know, I've tried to make a lot of resources available for you guys here. You know, not only this plug in here by 119 Ministries, but of course, we also have, uh, let me move this out of the way here and bring this up Virtual House Church. We have the Virtual House Church, Church uh, Discord. My tang's all tangled up today. <laughs> Discord server. Uh, where you can, let me go ahead and click on this, send you guys a link right there. And 
moderators, if you want to copy that link and post it a few more times uh, throughout the broadcast, that'd be great. Um, but we're a family, guys. You know, um, if you're struggling and don't really have enough, you know, maybe there's people here in this in this group. I mean, this virtual house church server here is growing bigger and bigger. You know, lots of people here and lots of different pages that you can click on here, different uh, sort of discussion rooms you can get into, as well as chat down here. Look, reach out. You know, uh, we need to come together as a body. And, you know, if a brother or sister's like, man, I, I don't have any money at all. I'm, I'm scared. I want to be able to provide for my family. Can anybody help? Maybe the community can get together and, you know, get them a three-month supply or something. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, guys, we're going to have to pull together as best we can to, to survive the days ahead. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So I'm trying to give you all the resources I can to help you do so. Um, below that is what do we do about Paul? A lot of people come here, think that we're crazy. What we're doing here is heretical and, you know, we're spitting on grace and the cross and all that kind of stuff, which is all nonsense, of course. But those who do so are ignorantly quoting Paul, thinking that they have a case. But Peter himself, when writing to the Galatians, warned the ignorant and unstable people twist and distort the writings of Paul in order to fall into the error of lawlessness. Lots of stuff here dealing with Paul. Uh, for you guys to check out if you run into such arguments or have such yourself, you should check them out. Got an entire page just dedicated to the book of Galatians here for you as well. Hebrew calendars, that page right there, uh, similar to the store page, but just dealing with the calendars. So you got two calendars right there, as well as some other Jewish resources and blogs and stuff related to keeping the Sabbaths and the feasts. And on the right-hand side, you got a search bar here where you can do keyword searches on the site, audio player, for the Yahuwah's love letter and Psalm 91. If you haven't heard those, they will be a blessing to you, especially if you're freaking out and don't know what to do. Um, these might give you some, a little bit of rest in, in that regard. Bible study tools I enjoy online are these right here. Still need to update this. Don't know what's up with their website. Appears to be down or at least flagged or something. Below that is uh, if you want to support us, we are a listener-supported ministry, so we certainly appreciate all the support we can get. This is all we do for a living. I'm a content producer, so we can't do what we do without people like you. And for those of you who have supported us in the past, Sheila and I greatly appreciate it. We can't thank you enough, but I'll say it anyway. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, again, we can't do what we do without you. It's the only way we have survived since we left our full-time job back in 2010. Uh, so you can click on that button right there or mail to this address right here if you feel inclined to support what we're doing here. Other ministries that uh, we enjoy, Your Living Waters, Ardell, Torah Family, Steve Mutria, New to Torah, Zach Bauer, 119 Ministries, Unlearn, Lex Meyer, and Jim Staley Teachings right there. These are all uh, really cool Torah resources, I think, that will bless you. Of course, there's other things dealing with the calendar on this page as well. And then finally, let's get to this week's study. Every week I update this. Uh, these are the scriptures from the Torah, Prophets, and New Testament. You click on this. Moses spoke to the And have the scriptures read to you. Below that is a ministry called Parsha in 60 Seconds. Parsha is the Hebrew word for study, so they distill the Torah portion down to 60 seconds. We'll watch that in a minute here. And then the live stream, which is what we're doing right now, is right here. It will archive here once we're done and remain on this page until I update it next week. Then we have, click here for additional studies, and that will take you to... This week's study page, if you're viewing this on a mobile device, you can click on this icon right here, and it takes you to a more mobile-friendly version of it where you can resize it, you know, for like a tablet or a cell phone. It's just a lot more user-friendly for mobile devices. 
All right, these are the scriptures again. Here are, is the audio player once again for the scriptures, and let's go ahead and listen to this, and we'll jump in. Shalom, and welcome to Parsha in 60 seconds. Today's portion is from Numbers 32 through 32, 42. It is called Matot, which means tribes. Vows made to God were required to be completed unless made by a wife or daughter, and the husband or father objected to the vows' terms. Widowed and divorced women could not take back their vows. God told Moses to attack the Midianites for their deeds in Peor. The Israelites attacked, killing every man, including five kings and Balaam, the prophet. They plundered the Midianites, only keeping virgin women alive. Moses directed the troops to stay outside the camp for seven days and purify everything, including themselves. The plunder was divided among the tribes. The troops presented 16,750 shekels of gold for Eleazar and Moses and kept the rest. The Reubenites and Gadites desired the land on the east side of the Jordan River for their cattle. Moses was concerned that they would not fight for them when they crossed the Jordan and that God would not allow their generation to see the land because of it. They agreed that they would fight until all the land was conquered. Moses agreed. The Gadites and the Reubenites built cities, and some leaders of Manasseh conquered cities and settled there. And that is Matot in 60 seconds. All right, that's the Torah portion in 60 seconds. I just was scanning through the chat uh, while I was playing that right there, and you know, I'm seeing stuff like this. Uh, my Yahuwah shall supply all my needs. Even if he has to send me manna from heaven, I shall not fear. I believe that is true, uh, completely. Um, you know, so again, I'm not trying to promote fear here. Uh, if anything, I'm trying to bolster your faith and make you aware of some things. Um, you'll note that manna didn't fall from heaven during the famine uh, that took over everything. He empowered Joseph to rise, you know, before Pharaoh, interpret his dream and say, hey, listen, dude, you better store up. So there are times to store and there are times to just walk in faith in the desert. <laughs> you know, um, I, I believe if you don't have the ability yeah, he's going to, he's, he, you know, he, he provides for the animals, the plants and everything else out there. He will provide for you as well. If you have the means to do something, then I highly encourage you to do so. So I, I think scripture has a precedence for both walking in total faith and just, you know, expecting manna to fall out of the sky and him to supply all our needs. And I've had situations where I've had to rely on the miraculous numerous times in my life and can testify that he does so. But I'm just telling you, if you have the means to prepare, you should. And Joseph was raised up uh, to do just that. Um, so I think there's biblical precedence for both. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, sort of address that issue here. Um, below that are teachings in the past from 2013 audio broadcasts. And I began to do videos in 2014. We have 1720. And of course, the one we're doing right now, this is the way biblical fellowship with JP and Charlie. And below that are commentaries from Ardell which uh, you heard some of that uh, last week. I read from Ardell, uh, just to give you a little bit of a taste. Lots of good stuff uh, from Your Living Waters there. Highly recommend you print those off, put them in a notebook. You'll be glad you did. And then, of course, we have notes and stuff from previous uh, years. And apparently, we, we ended up talking about the Trinity and stuff uh, and this week, uh, you know, this week's uh, study a number of years ago. So there's lots of stuff for you to read uh, on this page right here for this week's study. All right, enough of me blabbing here. Let's go ahead and jump in and uh, bring on Jake Grant. Um, Juan Carlos said he's running a little bit late, so he will probably join us sometime shortly. But uh, hey, man, uh, good to have you here. It was nice seeing you when you came through town. Uh, Jake and his wife and, and baby came through uh, was this past week, I think it was, right? Seems like it was yeah. recently. Where are you now? Yeah, days ago. yeah we're uh, here near San Antonio, uh, visiting some family, and uh, here in the RV, just uh, 
uh, having a good time. It's um, it's been good to kind of get to travel down here, and we got to introduce our baby to her great grandparents for the first time. So it was pretty cool. Nice, very cool. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, you you can testify a little bit to uh, miraculous things happening. And for those who weren't uh, didn't tune in to the broadcast when it occurred, you could tell a little bit about what happened with your RV which you just bought and uh, uh, you know, uh, a catastrophe that happened and, you know, maybe give a little testimony about uh, you know, his provision as well as the need to prepare if you're able to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So uh, just recently we kind of had a little miracle uh, slash lesson experience. Uh, we, we were attending a Passover event and uh, we are going down in this RV I'm in right now. And uh, we are going down a mountain and our brakes went out at the bottom of the mountain. And um, the whole time, uh, you know, it was like a 20, 20 minute drive down this extremely steep mountain in the Ozarks. And we uh, got to the bottom of the hill and with 30 feet to spare, our brakes completely went to the floor, um, pulled into oncoming traffic to kind of veer out of the way of the people who were at the stop sign in front of us and um, ended up passing them on the left and were, was able to slow down and stop. Uh, and at the time, it was like, oh, man, my brakes just went out. We almost died. If it had gone out at any other point, we'd gone off a cliff. And um, and so, you know, right there, we kind of already saw, you know, God's protection uh, as we didn't go off a cliff. We <laughs> Our brakes held off to the very last moment there. Um, but then um, another little miracle kind of came out of that experience. You know, while it was frustrating that our RV that – we were going to camp in and we were going to depend on um, had broke down and we had to get it towed the next morning to a mechanic because that happened uh, the next day, Wednesday morning there at the Passover event, when a flash flood hit uh, our RV wasn't there where uh, the flash flood was going to happen. And um, a lot of people lost vehicles, people lost their RVs. Um, and because something bad, seemingly bad happened, um, it turned into, you know, something God was doing, you know, the next day protecting our, our vehicle that we had just now bought, you know, it was just brand new at the time and uh, protected it by breaking it. <laughs> and um, and I think uh, that kind of ties into, you know, the importance of whenever things start to get crazy and we really need to start depending on God. You know, it, it's uh, it's being so in tune with his spirit. I think that'll help us lead us and, you know, to where we need to go to be safe uh, whenever, you know, if, if things go crazy um, because, you know, we can do all the preparation we want um, physically, but if we neglect spiritually preparing, then we're not going to hear his voice whenever he says, Hey, you know, wake up this morning, just like Joseph, right? He, he had a dream and he knew to go to Egypt. Um, and, and just like, you know, we have m several other examples in scripture, you know, he was protecting his people, but it always seemed to be right at the last minute that um, he tests her faith right up till being put into the fire, right? With Abraham and some of the extra biblical texts, you know, he, he was thrown in the fire. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into a fire and it was in the midst of the tribulation and the bad things happening that he actually steps in and, and does the, the amazing, you know, miracles and, and saves his people in the way that we're all, we want to be saved. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's just, uh, you know, with what you were saying, sharing with uh, when we started here with the video, some of the alarming news coming on the headlines with possible shortages, food shortages, outages. Um, what it makes me think of is, man, um, 
you know, how important it is to, uh, you know, be aware of these things. But at the same time, I feel like over the past few years, we've kind of been set up to fail with kind of like the, the boy who cried wolf syndrome. So <laughs> every time something happens in the news, you know, we, um, we, you know, people shout from the rooftops, Hey, get ready, get ready. And then eventually, um, if it doesn't pan out, people are like, Oh, well, see, nothing happened. But that's what happened in the story with the boy who cried wolf, right? Well, eventually the wolf showed up. Eventually bad things did happen. And so it's important for us to not kind of lull ourselves into a sense of false security. Um, and I think this year is a really telling year because um, we've had a lot of those boy who cried wolf scenarios over the past few years. But then when I look at this year, it's, it's almost like what if all of the false starts, all of the you know, the doom and gloom and the world's going to end ever since, you know, 2012, right? The world's going to end, you know, things are, bad things are going to happen. Um, what if they are setting us up to fail in a situation like this year when uh, we see, you know, mandates for the jab come through, um, you know, if those are being paired up with food shortages, um, aggression between countries, are we so numbed because of what we've heard and what we've gone through in the past that we're not willing to, you know, take heed when it actually is a serious moment, when actually, when the wolf actually shows up, um, what are we going to do? And, you know, that ties into our tour portion. Um, and I think this is uh, a really important thing that I wanted to discuss and, you know, in terms of a real world application sense, but our tour portion starts out with the whole premise of the, the importance of keeping your vows, keeping your word. And, um, and it makes me think like, Situations like this is a, is a perfect example where, you know, what if you do see the writing on the wall that, you know, hard times are coming or, and you want to warn your family, um, you know, that's why it's so important for us to be trustworthy people, to be uh, building a good reputation um, and building trust in the people that we interact with. Because if the time comes where the wolf's showing up and nobody can trust you because you fall back on your word or, or, uh, you know, you've you know, blown the trumpet a little bit too loud and right in their face uh, that they don't want to listen to you whenever it actually is going to be a very important time to share, you know, a warning or or to say, hey, you know, we need to get spiritually right because um, this is the time to hear God's voice more than ever um, because there's so many things, so many moving parts going on. Um, and, uh, and I will say, you know, we tuned into the... Uh, the, the Olympics opening ceremony is going on this weekend. Mm. And, um, and it was the surrealist thing. Um, you know, they're doing the Olympics there in Japan and, um, all of the stadiums are totally empty and all these people, their whole life have been working hard for, you know, this moment of fame and glory, right. You know, going for sports, you know, trying to become the best in the world. And finally they arrived at the Olympics here, there in Japan. And, uh, it's unlike any, any time ever before they're going into these stadiums and they're totally empty and they're performing to cameras. And I was just sitting thinking, man, what a surreal kind of weird scene. Um, I kind of felt bad for him, you know, in, in a part because, you know, they put all that effort in just to perform to nobody. Right. Um, but it just kind of made me think about how um, it's just this year, last year, um, really are outliers in terms of the things that are happening on the world stage. Um, 
and the things that um, we're going to be seeing as things start to crank up, um, it, it's it's more important than ever to kind of focus on our lives spiritually. And and that's why I uh, I've started to realize that um, whenever we start to go to uh, feasts or or we start to gather together with believers, uh, you know Hebrews talks about don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves, even more so as you see that day approaching. And I'm starting to learn more and more why that is such an important thing for believers in today's world, because we really are going to need community. We really are going to need to learn how to function together, how to love our brother. Um, you know, you really can get to the nitty gritty of who a person is when you're camping in a hot, humid, you know, summer day um, and you're out of you know something you need or you run out of toilet paper and you got to go ask your neighbor. You know, are you going to be in a community that are people that believe, you know, in, in the word of God, that, that believe in at least having a standard of, of, of laws that, you know, honor the most high and that desire to walk in righteousness? Or, you know, are we finding ourselves fellowshipping with people that, you know, that aren't going to have our best interests at heart whenever the tough gets going? Right. So, you know, that's something I started to realize is. Um, maybe that's why over the past year or so, we're seeing so many large gatherings of, of believers, um, people starting to come together, um, you know, at, at least in our kind of circles, you know, th- these feasts, these conferences, all of them are growing every single year. It's almost like God's preparing us kind of in a way to kind of help us see what it would be like whenever we have to cut ties with the system. Um, if there's uh, either, you know, mandates that require uh, you to have something and you can't buy or sell without that. Um, it's having a community that you can trust. Um, and it's people that at least profess with their mouth and are trying to walk out with their life, the word of God that I would trust more than somebody who, you know, even if they seem nice outwardly, whenever it comes to feeding your family, uh, you know, are you going to, you know, are they going to be robbing you just to, you know, put food in their children's mouths? Or are you going to be with people that you can call family? Um, and so just sort of some of some of my thoughts about, uh, you know, this time frame and, and what we've been talking about um, with uh, kind of the, the warning, <laughs> the warning call. Right. If things get hard, um, you know, the wheat and the tares are separated. And I think that's a, a thing we see in the in the New Testament um, coming up before the day of the Lord. But it's also something historically we can see that it's the people that they had community they were prepared and they had their lives right with the most high that seemed to fare the best. And, uh, and it's also the people that stayed within the cities um, that also kind of went through some of the harder things historically. Um, but it's those who lived in the country, those who knew how to grow their own, grow their own food, those who had strong uh, community who were able to trade barter for things that they needed um, and didn't have to, you know, fend off, hooligans, right, who are trying to steal their stuff, they're the ones who made it through hard times. So um, if hard times are coming, do you have those checklists, you know, checked? And at the very top of that list is, is your heart right? Are you checking that box so that, um, you know, you're praying and you're seeking God to hear his voice? So because that's really what it comes down to is if you want to get that manna from heaven, whenever you're out of food or you want to be, you know, woken up with a dream to go somewhere to be safe, you know, that's really the the priority here is we need to be hearing the voice of God. Um, so that's kind of some of my thoughts there, I guess. 
Uh, very cool. Um, let me see here. We have Juan Carlos has joined us. Hey, Juan, good to have you. Uh, Jake, shalom, guys. Shabbat shalom, man. Uh, Jake, you were talking about uh, you were meeting lots of people in the Ozarks that were just like, you want to share a little bit with uh, with everybody what you were sharing with me in, in regards to community and people just kind of ending up together from all over the country. Like something appears to be happening. Yeah, my, my wife and I, we enjoy traveling to different fellowships. You know, we like to attend a lot of the different conferences. And we, sometimes we end up going to two or three feasts a year just to get around people. You know, the calendar, you know, aside, you know, it doesn't matter really if you're right or wrong. I'm willing to fellowship with you. Um, and, uh, and so we end up running to a lot of people um, and learning kind of uh, about some of the migrations that are happening around the U.S. with at least the Torah observant community people that are seeking to keep the feasts and Sabbath and, and be set apart in those ways. And um, what we're seeing is there's a vast majority of people that are moving to a, uh, several different locations. Um, a lot of people are moving to the Ozark area. There's kind of a, a trifecta of several fellowships there in that area. Um, uh, there's hundreds of families moving. You know, uh, There's a, a town in uh, southern Missouri called Ava, Missouri, and I, I hear all the time of families moving there almost on a weekly basis. Um, you also have uh, several large fellowships growing in that area. You know, uh, Adam Fink, uh, you know, Parable of the Vineyard, he started up a fellowship last year and they already have a lot of people showing up every Sabbath and families moving down into the area just to plug in. South of that, they're closer into the foothills of the Ozarks. You have several uh, communities of people moving there because uh, the Ozarks has one thing that'll be very important whenever the going gets tough and it's fresh flowing water, which is kind of what we experienced going through that flood is, you know, in the blink of an eye, you know, you had a flash flood come through and, and that's because just the sheer amount of uh, water that hits the Ozarks and the rainfall there, which will be very important to survive. You know, if, if you can't depend on city water lines or um, if you can't depend on um, water, like out in the, the West, you have droughts going on and people are going to be, um, really hurting if they don't have fresh water. So, um, yes, there's a large population of Hebrew, you know, Israelite minded people moving to the Ozark area in North Arkansas, Southern Missouri. You also have a large population I've noticed are moving down to, uh, the Tennessee mountains there. Um, there's a, a good population there growing up in around Cleveland, Tennessee area. Um, you also have a, a large population, uh, uh, kind of gathering in uh, eastern Tennessee uh, over near the Appalachian mountain range. Um, and the kind of the, 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 the interesting thing I'm seeing with this is people are heading towards like the hills, you know, they're, hit, they're hitting the foothills, the, the mountain range areas. And I think it's because there's a, a lot of a, a looser governmental control over those type of places. Um, maybe that's, you know, God's just calling people to those type of areas. But, um, you know, uh, those are just things I've noticed, you know, there's, there's of course different groups all over. Um, but we definitely see people packing up and moving, just seeking the voice of God, seeking where you want to bring them to. And, and I think what's drawing people together, Rob, is people are realizing that, um, there's only a certain amount that you can grow in isolation. Um, and, people are hungry and, and really desire to be around people that they can, you know, grab shoulders with, you know, and, 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 and you know, and pray for and um, spend time with face to face because really there's nothing that can beat that 
genuine heartfelt time uh, of worship together, people coming together. Um, you know, another aspect of this that I remember talking with Zach Bauer about is as a community grows um, and our our lives start to become more and more set apart according to the word of God, it'll be even more important for us to kind of raise our children up and kind of, uh, you know, bring like-minded families together um, in terms of, you know, who are your kids going to marry one day? You know, are you going to be isolated to where your kids, they grow old and they don't have any friends or, or do you want to be in a community where maybe they could find somebody one day to fall in love with and marry uh, because really all it takes is one generation. We see that in our tour portions that we read through for people to fall away, to lose their identity. And all it would take is, you know, you know, your kids just marrying back into the world. And then all of this, you know, all of this is lost because it's the identity and the effort and the heritage that we pass down that's so important. And so that's another bit, big aspect to uh, finding local communities where you can plug into uh, because really it is a heritage thing uh, that you are passing this torch down to the next generation. That's one of the commandments tied to Passover is actually you're commanded to remind your children, to tell them that this is Yah, this is Yahuwah that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and to tell them the story of the Passover and the remembrance to kind of, res- you know, keep them mindful of their identity. And uh, so the whole aspect of you know preserving community, growing community is a very big deal here in these the days we're living in. Because not only that, um, we see uh, specifically with the um, the inoculation that um, is being pushed that uh, it's going to be very difficult to start to function in society. We already see it in several countries all the way across the world. Um, Israel is a great example. You have several places that have completely mandated it to where you're not able to function. In society, you know, I, I know here in the States coming in this August, we have a lot of our healthcare professionals that um, if they have convictions against the inoculation, then um, they uh, they're losing their jobs. They're losing their way of livelihood. Um, and so finding people that are like minded and they're not willing to participate in that experiment um, is even more important because. Who are you going to trade with or who are you going to exchange goods and services with if you're not able to interact with society at large because there's a, you know, a buy and sell barrier there? Um, So, uh, you know, just kind of a cursory look at how it seems like God's moving around people and why they're moving and getting closer to other families and and plugging in. Because, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm terrible spiritually whenever I feel like I've been isolated and I'm on my own. Um, and it's often, you know, some of the reasons I love to you know, get up and go to these conferences or go to the feast, because whenever you're really around people that are truly 100% sold out to the most high, that's when you can kind of help ignite their own flame and on your candle too. Um, you know, it, it, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being on your own, but it's, it's more difficult for sure. Um, and, uh, and oftentimes, sometimes we need that, that ironing, sharpening, sharpening iron, um, aspect of community. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I'll leave it at. Very good. Cool. Uh, Juan Carlos, I don't know how much you heard about the beginning of the broadcast, but just sort of along the lines of getting ready for the unknown in the future, 
I know you're kind of doing some preparing of your own down there. Just wanted to see if you had any insights or anything you wanted to share in terms of, you know, practical things that we can do to prepare for the, uh, the unknown future that seems to be looking darker and darker by the day. You know, I, I, I you know, part of the, the deal is for me, is, there's a number of things. One, I grew up uh, very much believing in the pre-trip rapture for over 40 years of my life, thinking I'm not going to have to worry about any of these things. I'm going to be out of here. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's been a fairly recent rude awakening for me to realize, no, that's not happening. <laughs> and I immediately started freaking out because I wasn't prepared for it. I, I, I always have the mindset, ah, I'm not going to have to deal with any of this stuff. Now realizing, you know what, we're going to be here for all this stuff. Uh, all of, you know, I was in the Boy Scouts. Our, our motto was be prepared. I was in your army, you know, same thing, always being prepared. Uh, and so I started going into survival mode, like I got to get ready. Um, and I've talked about it before, and I want to say this again uh, in the context of what we're discussing here today is something Norm Franz told us right about the time I was really freaking about freaking out about all this. He said, your Goshen is wherever God has you, wherever you who has you right now, that's your Goshen. Uh, which really set me free because I was looking at the map going, where are we going to move to? <laughs> you know, what are we going to do? Um, and, you know, for now, right now, my Goshen is the North Dallas, Texas area. Uh, and I'm actually becoming more and more grateful and thankful that I'm here <laughs> the more I look around. But um, th that's number one, is that your Goshen is wherever Yahuwah has you. Uh, however, if you look at the plagues of Egypt and he realized the end times is, is going to play out the same way it did during the time of the Exodus. In fact, it's called a greater Exodus is that the Israelites still had to experience three of the 10 plagues. So, you know, they had to go through some stuff, you know, so just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what, what can we do as a community of believers and, or as individuals that maybe don't have a community, but what are your thoughts on preparing for the, uh, Days ahead. Uh, that's an interesting and important point, uh, Rob. You know, I have been have been compelled for throughout the years to to start preparing myself and preparing family to to what's coming. Uh, you know, as as you said, uh, I also grew up in church, believing in pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, until I started to study myself uh, when I found this, uh, this uh, the true way, according to, to the word of Yahuwah. And I understood that uh, we will go through tribulation. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt to any of us here today in Virtual House Church uh, that uh, we are going now in a kind of tribulation. It's not the tribulation that Yahushua spoke about, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a precursor of what's coming. So I think when I when I saw this uh, and I, I came to this understanding of the the, the true plan and the, the true events that are coming ahead, uh, I I felt in my heart the need to start uh, preparing myself. Uh, you know, and, and and this is something important for everyone everyone to understand. And sometimes we we try to do something to, in our own. And uh, not necessarily is the timing when the Yahuwah wants want us to do something. What I'm trying to say, you know, I started at the beginning back on 2014, 15 time frame uh, to start uh, going out of the city, looking for a place where to where to start preparing something on my own. And uh, you know, beside that, I started to go through 
serious difficulties in, in, other, in other areas of my life, uh, I wasn't able to find a place. And, and, you know, I was pushing myself to, to try to do this because I do it with my own strength. And the, not necessarily was the, the time that Yahuwah once wanted me to do that. <clears throat> uh, but, uh, you know, the, that, that feeling was in my heart anyway, the need to prepare myself uh, just listening and reading the words of Yahushua, of what is coming, that we will go through tribulation and we need to flee to the, to the mountains, as uh, J.K. was mentioning a minute ago. So, you know, throughout the years, you know, coming to 2017, Ava opened the door. I was able to, to find a place that, that, you know, I think I mentioned this in Virtual House Church a few weeks ago. I've been traveling to the south of my country, preparing a place over there. In 2017, I wasn't able because of other aspects of my life to, to move ahead with this project. And only were able to start really seriously on this uh, this year, beginning of this year. Uh, and, you know, it's so amazing to see that uh, even when we we are not planning, uh, and we are not in control because Yahuwah is in control, it's, it's amazing to see how Yahuwah start to open the doors, to, to start preparing things. So, so that's why, you know, the first thing I can, I can say is, is that we need to do, we, we need to do the work. We need to uh, move into the action, but uh, we cannot do it uh, uh, by our own, our own self. We need to ask Ava to open the doors and to guide us through the process. So in terms of practical things, uh, you know, I'm a true believer that uh, we need to try to get rid of the cities in, in any place if we if were able to do. But again, keep in mind, if Yahuwah is guiding us to do it. And, and why, uh, why I'm saying this? Because if we see different examples throughout the scripture, uh, we see people, uh, the servants of Yahuwah, not necessarily were living on the cities. The same Yahushua HaMashiach, he was not living on the on Jerusalem. He was on the northern uh, places of uh, of the land of Israel, in the in Galilee of the Gentiles, you know, and he was starting his ministry over there, and he was visiting Jerusalem time to time. Uh, the same thing we see it with uh, John the Baptist. We same we see with uh, Elijah. They were not in the cities, and they were uh, visiting the cities time to time in order to to do the service of Yahuwah. Uh, so, so I, I do believe that the all all what is coming, and just by reading Revelations, we see that the instructions are coming through the, to the cities. So, so if we have the chance to, to go out of the city to start uh, living in with certain kind of autonomy uh, from the system of the world, I think this is something that we should try to do. Uh, I, I hear what Jay was mentioning. I think uh, try to to build a community. Uh, of believers is the, the best thing to do. Uh, sometimes uh, we are not able to join to communities of believers because they are not uh, close uh, around us. Uh, it's my case, for example. You know, there's no a community of believers on the way that I know in my country uh, that we can start uh, doing the, this kind of things. But uh, the fact of building a community of good people just to have contact where you can exchange things if, if things are coming in, 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 a, in a bad way, it's important, you know. Uh, uh, you know, in, in business business point of view, when you're doing deals and business, there's a term that is being known that is uh, networking. Uh, having a, a good network of people is, is, is something really important. 
but it's important to do it according to the word of Yahuwah, living in righteousness, in the righteousness of Yahuwah, what I'm trying to say. We're going to have a network of people in order to, to have this kind of community. It needs to be good people. Maybe they are not they knowing the way of Yahuwah yet, but they, we know uh, what type of people or, or we are going to feel in our hearts when we can have this kind of uh, networking, with the, even with people that are not knowing the way. And why this is important? Because maybe Yahuwah is bringing people to our, to our lives that not necessarily know the way, but there is a purpose on the, that the union and that community. And that purpose is basically is part of our call in order to bring the light of Yahuwah. So, so that's why we need to be very attentive when we're doing this kind of communities if we are not able to do it with believers. Um, to try and try and, you know, I, I always say this. I think uh, the system of the beast, the system of the world that has been implemented by uh, throughout the centuries uh, has been going against the, the true knowledge that we should have in our hands today. For example, all the knowledge of the of the soil, the land, uh, how to cultivate uh, food, how to um, uh, take care of animals or to, to have animals. Uh, all these kind of things, uh, you know, has been uh, for for the beaten and somehow for, uh, forget it by, um, forgot by the people, including myself. And, and we see in the scripture, you know, everything was related to the land. Even the parables of Yahushua was related to, to agricultural aspects. And we know nothing of this. So I think one, one important thing is that even the blessings of Yahuwah is coming through the land, through the rain, from the fruit of the land. is something that we should uh, do our effort to understand. And I remember we discussed this in Virtual House Church in the past. Uh, Rob, you were sharing your... your uh, your experience of cultivating food in your in your home. I was doing the same in my in my case. You know, we struggle at the beginning. Some things things are not going in the in the direction we want, but it's the process. It's like uh, riding a bicycle. At the beginning, we're gonna fall down. We are not gonna we are not, we are not gonna have the chance to do it in the proper way. But we cannot stop. We need to do it in order to learn. You know. And, and there's so much wisdom on learning these kind of things because even it's going to help us to understand even better the word of Yahuwah. So, so, so short, short, uh, long story short, I think uh, trying to, if possible, if Yahuwah is, 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 is guiding us to do, go out of the cities. Uh, second, to, to be uh, as, 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 as autonomous as we can from the system of the world. And the uh, meaning in terms of uh, roof, in terms of uh, uh, food, especially, and especially water. You know, this is critical. Without water, you know, it's, it's difficult. We can live a lot of time with uh, a longer time without food, but without water, it's much more difficult. And uh, and the last thing is, is 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 just to complement what Jake said. Try to build this networking. Try to have uh, people around us that we can have uh, this exchange in case things are coming in a, in a, in this worst case scenario. Uh, this is what I can, I can share. Yeah, man. Amen. All right. Uh, cool. Who wants to go first uh, sharing specifically about this week's tour portion? You know, we've, we've kind of eaten up the first hour here talking about this stuff, but you know, I just, I felt like it was, it was 
it was just on my heart. I mean, it was, I, I don't know what's coming or when it's coming or if it's coming, but I just sort of felt an urgency about this, uh, you know, what, what, what we've been talking about, but we can go ahead and jump into the tour portion. I do find it interesting that this is where, you know, uh, they're gathering and preparing for war. <laughs> uh, and it was a, a thousand from each of the 12 tribes. And one of the reasons why I say that Revelation is just an amped up repeat of the events of the Torah is that now in, in Revelation, we see 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. So it's, it's an amped up repeat. But I uh, want to get your guys' thoughts on, uh, on this week's Torah portion. Any other insights along those lines? Go, Jake. Jake. Be my guest. Jake, go first. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to focus in. Um, there are several things that I found interesting, and, and then a, a little portion from the Targums that was fascinating I, I can talk about. But um, just wanted to start off with um, how our tour portion opens up with the, the significance of vows. And um, it starts off saying, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or, bear, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And, uh, you know, I... <laughs> For me, you know, this is a, a you know, a, you know, a lesson that I'm learning all the time, you know, because so easily we can just kind of in an offhand thing say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking kind of like, you know, when, when my wife asks me to do something for her. Right. <laughs> and I, I say, yeah, yeah, I'll take care of it. And then I forget, you know, um, but there's also a far extreme to that um, that really does tie to, you know, kind of what we were talking about is the importance of building community. Um, uh, you know, we, we see in ancient times, really a man's word was so valuable and so important that, um, they would go to furthest links to preserve and protect their honor and their word. And, um, and we see our example of, uh, throughout scriptures of the most high, uh, he's always giving his word. He's always making vows and promises to those who, uh, he's, called out and, and who are being set apart and he's promising them things. You know, we see this as a recurring theme. And so if we're to learn from his character, um, maybe this is something that we should all be emulating to the point where, you know, if I, if I discuss things with people and I give them my word, you know, if they trust me so much, how, how great is that? You know, how important is it to build a community on trust and on mutual respect? And, uh, and whenever, you don't have, uh, you know, the comforts of the modern system anymore to fall back on. A lot of us, all that we will have left is our word. And hey, look, I'm a, I'm a, a child of the Most High, and I seek to keep His word, and and I'm going to keep my word because I'm an emissary or I'm a representative of the God of the Scriptures, right? If I'm I'm a representative, then whenever I give my word and I make a vow. That is why there's such emphasis given here in our Torah portion on the significance of keeping our word and our vows. Um, and, uh, and of course, in the New Testament context, uh, we have Yeshua uh, says, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no, you know, because what they were doing is um, to avoid some of these commandments here. They were vowing on other things they were saying i swear by you know the gold you know the gold of the temple versus the temple because one would have been a sin if they broke their vow and the other they kind of could sleaze out of it right but you know of course that's why the messiah rebuked him he's like you know if you're going to let your yes be yes then you know that's how we should be behaving because 
you know, it's not about, you know, sneaking and, and getting our way and manipulating people. And I find this is tied to a saying that's um, found in the book of Revelation regarding the 144,000, which I find very significant because, you know, these 144,000 that are talked about in the book of Revelation are very uh, important, you know, special people. These are the ones that are these first fruits of man that stand on Mount Zion. Um, and, uh, you know, once again, these are, you know, it's tied to this Torah portion, like you said, Rob, with thousand being numbered. But one aspect of the 144,000 that describes them is they were found without guile in their mouths. And, uh, and that's tied to what we're reading here, I, I believe, is, you know, whenever you are wholeheartedly sold out to the spirit of truth, you're only going to speak truth. And, and the whole premise of having guile in your mouth is having that, that kind of that agenda hidden behind the mask, you know, whether it, what you're speaking is true and you still have an agenda. So you skew the truth, um, which is, you know, twisting it, you know, which, you know, you look into the meaning of the word wickedness and it's a twisting, uh, a twisting of sometimes things that are true can be twisted into wickedness. And so in the same way, um, I think this quality of this lacking guile, lacking uh, the desire to manipulate and to lie and to break your word um, is something that we see is honored and, and, and kind of um, rewarded, um, especially in the case of these 144,000 in the book of Revelation. So I wanted to look at this uh, and, and just kind of reiterate the, the significance of these commandments of, of keeping a vow. Um, but also, uh, you know, it goes into um, the premise of, of women and, uh, and how the head of the household, the, the, the man, if, if the woman makes a vow and the father hears of it, or the husband, if she's a married woman, uh, hears of it, if he um, doesn't counsel out that vow that first day, then she's beholden to her word. Um, but it also kind of, uh, it, it sets up, um, uh, once again, a, a biblical model of family. Um, and it allows the, the father to step in and take the iniquity of the woman onto himself. Because if, if, if she gives her vow and he allows her to go through or, or he doesn't, then it's on him for saying, okay, yes, or okay, no, that you shouldn't be given your word to do that. Um, and so it gives us kind of a standard of the biblical hierarchy of the family. Um, and, um, but it also doesn't take away a woman's ability to make promises or make vows because it does say that if a whole day goes by and the guy doesn't say anything, um, then, you know, she's, a, she is to keep her word. She's to go on through with that pledge. Um, and what that shows us is, you know, that, um, you know, one, for one, if you're the, if you're the head of the household, if you're a father and your daughter makes some promise to her boyfriend or something, let's just get an example here. It is your responsibility to listen and be paying attention when your family comes to you and presents their pledges or their vows or, or the things that they're desiring to, you know, go through and do. And, um, and in, in terms, it, it demonstrates that there's a responsibility that oftentimes, um, in our Western world and the modern context, the man of the household often lets fall to the wayside. And sometimes either we're just too lazy, we don't want to pay attention, you know, the, the classic, you know, the husband's not very good at hearing or the father, you know, doesn't take the time to really listen to what his family's saying. Um, so, you know, these things are kind of what come to mind as 
being very important in, in this context of the tour portion that, um, you know, as a family to, to be a strong family, you know, the, the head of that household needs to be looking out for those who are part of his household. But at the same time, it doesn't take responsibility away from those who are given their word um, within the household. Um, Sorry, that's uh, my computer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having ideas. They're just flinging up. Here. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so. Yeah, they need to put the little, <laughs> the little light bubble that ding. <laughs> yeah. <having> ideas. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. So, um, anyways, uh, so, I, you know, I just wanted to look at that because um, it is tied to some of what we've talked about is how important is trust and, and respect in community? Um, because once you start lying to people, once people figure out you're there to manipulate them, you're not going to have a good time trying to cooperate. Um, and so I think that's why, you know, in our scriptures, Yah really makes it explicit. You know, let's keep our word. Let's let's keep the things that we say we're going to do. Um, so now we have, uh, of course, this interesting account of the vengeance on Midian. And I'll just uh, share this um, this fascinating, you know, uh, perspective from the uh the Targum text, um, you know, once again, you know, people always question, why are, why do you want to read through these? Why do you, why are you looking at these? Well, for one, you know, it is just the word translation. It's a translation of the scriptures. Um, we know for lo a long time, uh, at least the Jewish community, they will read side by side with the Torah portion, the Targum text as well. Um, and we find a lot of the, uh, the cultural or, or some of the, uh, the the Jewish things that we see today are actually uh, found in the Targum. So it helps kind of get a better understanding of the Jewish community and why they have some of the traditions. Uh, for example, um, uh, at the very beginning of the Targum portion, um, uh, we have uh, something that would probably hint at the origin of the 13-year-old bar mitzvah for the Jewish community um, because it ties this commandment of keeping your word and keeping your uh, vows to the age of 13. And so that's when, um, you know, in, in the Jewish community, they, they do their bar mitzvah or whatever, and they're transitioned to adulthood. And I believe it's partially tied to this particular Torah portion in, in the Targum translation, which ties in the, uh, the solidity of a vow happens you know, past the age of 13 is when, you know, it really kicks into full force. And if you give your word, your word is your word. Um, and it records um, uh, that the age that that really is focused in on and, and becomes a weighty matter is uh, the age of 13 and, and 12 to 13 for, for girls. So uh, that, that does kind of, it's interesting that that's where the Jewish community gets the age for um, the bar mitzvah. And now, of course, there might be some other aspects to why they choose that age, but I find that interesting. Um, but I, I wanted to read this, uh, this really interesting uh, account um, that's recorded in the Targums regarding uh, Phineas, who we, we read about in a, a few Torah portions back, and also uh, Balaam, who is the guy who cursed Israel, you know, that sorcerer dude who tried to curse Israel, but ended up blessing them. And, uh, Oh man, like talk about a, another little account here that seems to be out of like a superhero movie almost, or, or it's so just fantastical. I had to uh, bring it out to you guys, but um, I'm uh, all right, here it is. And um, 
it says this, um, and ordering forward the host of Israel and they warred against Midian, circumventing them from three corners as the Lord instructed Moshe. And they killed every male and they slew the kings of the Midianites with the slain of their armies. Eve Rechem Zer, who is Balak and Hur and Reba, the five kings of Midian. So just back to context. Remember, we, we read in that uh, particular uh, portion of Balaam cursing that are trying to curse the children of Israel. These are the kings that were hiring him that they're going to make war with. And of course they caused them to fall into sin, uh, you know, years earlier because of, uh, you know, they sent in the daughters of, uh, of Midian to kind of sway them into adultery and to sexual immorality. But, and it says this, and Balaam Barbior, they killed with the sword. And it was when Balaam, the guilty, saw Phineas, the priest, pursuing him, he made use of his magical arts and flew in the, hair, in the air of the heavens. So this guy somehow was like flying, like <laughs> some kind of like crazy witchcraft or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it says, but Phineas forthwith pronounced the great and holy name and flew after him and seized him by the head, bringing him down and drew the sword and sought to kill him. And he opened his mouth with words of deprecation and said to Phineas, if thou wilt spare my life, I swear to thee that all the days I will live, I will not curse thy people, <laughs> which is funny because he couldn't curse the people. <laughs> yeah. um, and Phineas answered him and said, art thou not Laban, the Amorite, who did seek to destroy Jacob, our father, who went down unto Mitzrayim to destroy his children, and after they had come out of Mitzrayim, did send the wicked Amalek against them. And hast thou not now been sent to curse them? But after thou hast seen that thou works did not prosper, and that the word of the Lord would not hear thee, thou didst give the evil counsel to Balak to send his daughters in the way to make them go wrong. When there fell of them 24,000, therefore it cannot be that thy life may be spared. And at once he drew the sword and slew him. So um, it's like a kind of a final conclusion to that whole drama uh, between the, you know, this sorcerer family that came from the line of Laban, you know, of course, who was that guy who um, pursued after his son-in-law, Jacob. um, And uh, he was chasing him to find his, you know, little idol that uh, Rachel had hid. Um, But, you know, Laban's son, Beor, was the father of Balaam and Balaam was the father of Janus and Jambres, who was the two uh, kind of magicians that had the drama there in Egypt between Moses and Aaron and, and convinced Pharaoh to harden his heart. And uh, this is the, the final culmination of this bad guy who seemed to kind of be kind of like the man behind the curtains is kind of the vibe I get there in the in the promised land, kind of soothsaying and telling the kings of the of the, the holy land how to keep the children of Israel at bay and to to destroy them through uh, enticing them to sexual immorality. Um, and uh, and so I, I just want to read that <laughs> fascinating account. So it, it, according to this, it says that Phineas, um, who was that guy who skewered through those two cotton adultery, uh, ended up being the one to finally end the saga of these, um, you know, these sorcerers that were attacking and coming after the children of Israel. Um, so that was that was uh, just a, a little little interesting account there. I wanted to read the fascinating, you know, take it or leave it. But um, just just interesting, you know, um, it makes me think of, you know, how um, 
the mighty men of war, whenever they went into battle um, with the Lord as their banner, right? And and um, they went, you know, knowing that he was going to be with them. I can't imagine some of the crazy stories of, of just exploits in war that the children of Israel were able to accomplish, especially when you read some of the, the accounts of the battles, especially with Joshua, where they pretty much annihilate all the men of these cities and these towns with very, very few casualties, if any. And uh, man, if that's not encouraging for what God might do in the future with, you know, future exploits, you know, if, if uh, you know, the, whenever you see in scripture, the numbering of the children of Israel is always associated with the men going to war. And you see in the book of Revelation, the numbering of the 144,000, um, that, that looks to me like these are the warriors, you know, that are going to be fighting in the battle of Armageddon or are going to be fighting battles. And, and, uh, somebody brought up to me, I've not had a chance to study it. Maybe you guys have had a chance to look at, um, this text, but it's called the, the war scroll of the Lord, or, or maybe I'm misquoting it, but somebody was sharing with me that there's a, uh, either a pseudo epigraphal or a, a, a kind of a, a, a document that seems to talk about some of the battles that'll be taking place leading up to the battle of Armageddon and, um, and how it talks about how um, I'm just paraphrasing here. Cause I've not had a chance to read it yet, but how it talks about how um, there are going to be people that have the name of God written on their swords and on their shields. And they're going to be doing, uh, you know, kind of like Joel two army type war stuff in the end times, which is, it's really interesting, kind of, you know, the seed of the the woman makes war with the dragon. And I've always looked at those phrases in Revelation, um, um, how uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, these people are just totally rolling over. It seems like there's, you know, there's some kind of clashing there um, in a future tense in the book of Revelation. Um, and then we look at these examples of the children of Israel entering into the Holy Land in our Torah portions how amazing God kind of stepped in and allowed them to just totally, you know, wreck these, you know, native populations. So, you know, whenever you have God as your banner and he tells you go and do something, if you do it with all of your heart, you know, <laughs> some amazing things are, uh, you know, bound to happen. Yeah. Uh, Zen is joining us in the chat room here, Zen Garcia. So, Hey Zen, <laughs> uh, he said, he, he says it's the war scroll from um, and he says it's separate from the Dead Sea Scrolls and mentioned in the Old Testament. Book of the Wars of the Lord is what he was uh, mentioning right, right there. That's pretty cool, man. Um, so are, what do you, we probably talked about this before, but maybe in in the context of this discussion, um, the thousand from each of the 12 tribes are young men of fighting age. You know, these are typically teenagers, early 20 type, you know, age group. And Revelation talks about that they are virgins who have not been defiled with women. So it, it some people want to spiritualize and say, well, they're just spiritually pure. It says not defiled with women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, look, I'm of the opinion we take scripture as literal as you can whenever possible. You know, if he's, if, you know, Jesus says, Yeshua says, I'm the door. 
okay, is he a door with hinges and a doorknob? No, he's an entryway into something else. I mean, it's, it's a metaphor. So we understand that there are metaphors and there, there are times when the scriptures, you know, will employ symbolic language or talk in similar or what have you. Otherwise, when it's not obviously a metaphor, simile, symbolic language, I'm just going to take it literally, right? So these are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, virgin males who have not defiled themselves with women. I'm going to say, okay, that's who they are then. Um, and in this day and age, it's pretty hard to find virgin males. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it seems to me that they would, just by virtue of the culture, likely have to be pretty young uh, just because of the way the culture is. Um, now, fine, you could say that they are they are people who – were raised in in a godly home and they stood up for biblical principles and they said, I'm going to keep myself pure, you know, well into their 20s, 30s or what have you. Um, but I came to the conclusion that they are likely in parallel with the book of Numbers in their 20s, perhaps teenagers. Zach takes it even a step farther and believes that they're actually children, like young children. And he, I think he makes a very compelling case, quite frankly, that, that they're children, but wanted to get to... Uh, your thoughts on this, on that issue. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I, I agree with the take it literal and any opportunity we can. Um, I, uh, I, I find it interesting. Uh, some of the, uh, you know, the, the language used there, um, not being defiled by women. So the question would be, um, you know, if, if it is literal, you know, then we definitely have, you know, a very explicit group of people, but, um, if there is a, you know, a kind of interpretive aspect to it, then, you know, is having a, a wife is being, you know, with a woman, a defiling act. Um, well, we see uh, an exa example before the day of Pentecost, uh, when the children of Israel were to go up to the mountain to hear the commandments, they were told, come not unto your women for three days um, so that they would be, you know, kind of ritually clean. So, um is in an aspect of, you know, a spiritual, you know, because we have uh, woman language with the whore of Babylon, right? Who, you know, caused all nations to sin, you know, because of the cup of, you know, her adulteries. And, uh, you know, is this a, you know, is it a spiritual, you know, aspect or is it, I, I think we won't fully understand or know until um, definitely we see it happening and playing out on the world stage uh, if we get the opportunity to, but. Um, I, I can lean either way at the moment. Um, I've started to, you know, kind of uh, lean more back towards it's definitely men of fighting age. 20 and above is what um, seems to always be the case for um, war warriors being chosen. Um, that's one. I really loved Zach's um, Zach's perspective of it being young children, you know, standing up and being like, I hear the voice of God. We're going this direction, <laughs> you know, and then like, you know, big theologians going, I, I'm not following a kid, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that, yeah. it was just such a, you know, the, the narrative to that. So, you know, like Zach says, if that's one of the horses in the race, I, I'd be blown away. And I think that would be really cool. Um, but, you know, either way, if it's a, you know, as a physical, literal uh, sense, or if it's a, um, a kind of a, a, a spiritual aspect, you know, we, we see um, the in the book of Revelation when he discusses some of the issues the churches have, you know, he says, you know, make sure your garments aren't defiled. And, and if you have been defiled, you know, make sure to clean them up before I come back or I'll find you um, like, you know, 
you know, he talks to uh, some of the churches. It's not pretty what he says uh, if they don't repent of their sins. And so, um, you know, is it those who have wholeheartedly prepared their heart that are no longer uh, in the Babylon system, uh, that those who, um, you know, are, are called out and chosen and it's just a number that he's waiting to fulfill? Um, well, with all of this said, I love to go to, um, I believe it's the the second chapter of fourth Ezra. And, um, and I know we, we read this before, but anytime we talk about the 144,000, I love to read this passage. Um, and, uh, let me, uh, it's a uh, second, it's a uh, second Ezra's chapter two. And I'm going to try to pull it up. I, I'm, I'm bouncing off of my wife's phone here, so I don't have all my <laughs> Bible uh, softwares or anything. Um, um, trying to find it here real quick. In in the meantime, Jake, I can make some, some comments to, to what Rob was asking. Okay. So you know, I think there are the two, two, the two positions. If it's there are the real children or the grown-up men, about the one hundred forty-four thousand, I think there there are the arguments for two the two positions. And uh, I have not a, speci a special take uh, on what what is going to be the case. I, I do believe the same that Jake that we will see with time when this is really going to happen. And uh, just to mention a few arguments of why I also believe that could be grown men, you know, even Yahushua HaMashiach uh, called us babes. When he was uh, blessing the Father, he said, bless Abba because you have uh, uh, hidden these things from the scholars and has revealed to the babes. So, so according even considering this, uh, this is mentioned from Yahushua, we can be considered grown men that are starting on the way, we can be considered children. And, and the second one that uh, also, uh, for me, is uh, an important point to consider, is that uh, if this group of people, the 144,000, are really going to lead the battle, as is written in the, the, the Dead Sea Scroll, in the World Scroll, you know, and, and, and also uh, if they are going to be priests, to Yahuwah, as it is written in the, the book of Revelation, we go back to Torah, uh, it was the men above 20 years old, the ones going to battle, and it was the, the men above 20 years old that were serving as priests, priests and, and also Levites. So, so, so that's the part that is pushing me to believe that is they're not going to be children, they're going to be from 20 years old and above. But it could be one of the two cases. We will see with time. And um, and here's just quickly that the text um, in Second Esdras, or also the Book of Fourth Ezra, um, it's known as the Apocalypse of Ezra. It was contained in the original King James Version, um, but it was removed. Um, uh, and it says this in verse 34 of chapter 2. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I say to you, O nations that hear and understand, await your shepherd and he will give you everlasting rest because he will come at the end of the age is close at hand. Be ready for the rewards of the kingdom because the eternal light will shine upon you forevermore. Flee from the shadow of this age, receive your glory, the joy of your glory. And I publicly call upon my savior to witness 
Receive that the Lord has entrusted to you and be joyful, giving thanks to him who has called you to heavenly kingdoms. Rise and stand and see the feast of the Lord and the number of those who have been sealed. And this is something that we get from the, the text uh, about the, you know, the 144,000. These are those who were sealed by the lamb. Um, and continuing on in verse 39, those who have departed from the shadow of this age and have received glorious garments from the Lord. Take again your full number, O Zion, and conclude the list of your people who are clothed in white, who have fulfilled the law of the Lord. The number of your children whom you desired is full. Beseech the Lord's power that your people who have been called from the beginning may be made holy. And I, Ezra, saw on Mount Zion a great multitude, which I could not number, and they all were praising the Lord with songs. Um, and in their midst was a young man of great stature, taller than all, any of the others. And on the head of each of them, he placed a crown, but he was more exalted than they. And I was held spellbound. And I asked an angel, who are these, my Lord? And he answered and said to me, these are they who have put off mortal clothing and have put on the immortal. And they have confessed the name of God. And now they are being crowned and receive palms. Then I said to the angel, who is that young man who places crowns on them and puts palms in their hands? And he answered and said to me, he is the son of God whom they confessed in the world. So I began to praise those who had stood valiantly for the name of the Lord. Then the angel said to me, go tell my people how great and many are the wonders of the Lord God, which you have seen. And from this text, um, I, I really do identify two separate groups of people. And one, I believe, is tied to this 144,000. Now, this is my, you know, my, my perspective currently, um, because it, it's very specific that there's a number that Zion is waiting to be fulfilled, a, a set number, a, um, a, uh, the number of those who are sealed. But then you have Ezra also seeing a mixed multitude that couldn't be numbered. So you have two separate groups here. And I really do believe that this first group that's mentioned that are clothed in white, you know, these are the ones that um, uh, I, I would attribute to this group that have the song of the land, the song of Moses and the song nobody knows that stand on Mount Zion with the lamb and follow him wherever he goes. And uh, and this to me is these 144,000 that we see in the book of Revelation mentioned here in second Esdras uh, chapter two. Very cool. Um, before Juan Carlos talks, Jake, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts on uh, the reason for wiping out the Midianites, including children, like wiping everything out. And uh, it's an interesting study that, that I've found. Um, let me share my screen here. Um, like who was Keturah? Right. We know that after Sarah died, Abraham married Keturah. Now there's a wide variety of opinions on who she was, you know, um, some even saying that Keturah was just another name for Hagar that after Sarah died, he ended up hooking up with uh, Hagar again. Um, but there's others that refute that. Um, and uh, like, for instance, this is one resource. There's lots of stuff. I just pulled this one page up while we were talking, but um, many commentaries on this section of the Torah, uh, e.g. Rashi, see here for a list of some others, say that Keturah is Hagar. However, the quoted Yalkut Shimoni can't agree with this opinion since clearly that person holds that they weren't the same person. There are opinions to maintain that Keturah and Hagar are two separate people, but the ones I read, Rashbam, this guy, this guy, Ramban, only Ramban says that her nationality was 
what what her nationality was, and he says she was a Canaanite, a descendant of Ham. So the Rambam isn't saying the same thing as the other person is either. So there's you know there's a, a variety of opinions on who she was. It, it seemed to me that the, the ones that I was reading uh, when I was doing research on this a while back was, was saying that she was a Canaanite, which really flipped me out because. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you can consistently see don't marry a Canaanite. And then if, if that's the case, Abraham turns around and marries a Canaanite. I'm like, what? But Midian was one of the sons of that offspring. So Midian being uh, a child of Keturah, uh, fathering the Midianites, they were among those who were slated for utter destruction. And whenever I see nations being slated for utter destruction, kill the women, kill the children, kill the animals, wipe out everything, uh, historically speaking, throughout the Torah and Joshua and other places, they were Nephilim. So that would seem to confirm the notion that Keturah was a Canaanite, hence them being slated for utter destruction. So I just wanted to get both of you, uh, maybe you can comment on this, but uh, Jake, while you have the floor, did you read anything in uh, Targums or anywhere else that uh, would link Keturah and the Midianites to uh, Canaan? Um, I wasn't specifically tracing um, the lineage more so I was kind of just deducing of why he would have them wipe out all of the men um, and specifically the women who have lain with men. Um, it, this is different from some of the like the Amorites where it was man, woman, child, every single living creature. Right. This instance is uh, more honed in on what I would consider a very, very dangerous venereal disease um so <laughs> to kind of back that up you know of course it was these kings and the sons of balak uh, or the uh, balak the daughters of balak they send in these women to uh bring in the children of israel and to sin through sexual immorality at their temple you know their feasts or whatever and uh and then we see directly after that throughout the people there was a plague spreading that had to be atoned for by phineas right um, and so uh, in the context of, of this particular battle, um, we see that the, the people went in there and they saved the women. They didn't kill the women. Um, and then you have uh, them you know, present this and Moses is like, all right, well, you guys are going to have to take out any of the women who have lain with a, a, a man. But any of the, the women who were virgins or young women who had not lain with a man, then you, you know, they, they were able to be uh, allowed to live. And so to me, what it looks like is that whatever disease, whatever uh, venereal, likely a venereal disease that was circulating through the population of the Midianites, um, it had to be eradicated. And the only way to do that was to, you know, you know, for the, the people that um, hadn't kind of, you know, engaged in um, intercourse with somebody who might have already had that disease. Hmm. Um, and so that's kind of why I think there was this call to annihilate the Midianites specifically because their worship practices of their false gods uh, likely was tied to a, a sexual nature because um, that's what we see they enticed the Israelites into. So it would go to reason that um, for one, you know, you don't want to bring in the men of this society who uh, likely at a very young age were probably able to engage um, in that temple, you know, worship process. Um, but the women who, you know, weren't exposed to that, they were, you know, in a way saved from that disease and able to marry into the Israelite population without spreading uh, like syphilis or you know, whatever. I don't know. 
what it could have been, but um, that's really from this comparing it to what he said about the Amorites and those who likely had tainted genetics. Um, you see a difference there between all of them being annihilated if they had likely Nephilim DNA, DNA and corrupted genetics. And then you have a difference here with those who likely had to be destroyed that were um, someone who had kind of tainted themselves with the, the population there. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Juan Carlos, you got the floor. Uh, we've got another 30 minutes left or so in the broadcast. So uh, what were your thoughts on this week's Torah portion, Prophets and New Testament or anything that has been shared so far? Sure, Rob. Uh, I think uh, I just want to complement what uh, Jake was mentioning about uh, the chapter 30th of the of this portion on the Midbar numbers. Um, and somehow and somehow connected connected it to to what I was uh, sharing last week to to, to make the full picture of uh, defending Messiah in terms of uh, how Yahuwah can accept a human sacrifice as, a, as an offering, especially for atonement. So, starting with the, what the, is saying about vows, uh, you know, it is written that in the chapter 30, verse 1 and 2, the following, it says, And Moshe spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the word which uh, Yahuwah has commanded. When a man bows a vow to Yahuwah or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he does not break his word. He does according to all that comes out of his mouth. So I just want to to, to differentiate, at least in, in the way that I see it, that this, uh, this portion is talking about three types of uh, agreement, let's say. First is a vow to Yahuwah. Second is uh, any kind of oath, or third is any type of agreement. And despite that, uh, when we continue reading the entire portion, is it gives a lot of uh, instruction regarding the women and, and the, the vows or agreement or oath of women. The, the starting point of this uh, chapter is talking in general. It's talking to everyone. Uh, men and women, basically, about uh, making oaths, making vows, or making any type of agreement, and it's so so serious that uh, it says it says clearly that we cannot break our words. We must do according to all that we speak. Uh, now, uh, when we go to the book of uh, Deuteronomy, the it's, it expands a little bit more than the standing of. Uh, this instruction, this uh, commandment about vows. We go to the chapter 23 of uh, Deuteronomy, Devarim in Hebrew, to the verse 21-23. It says the following, When you make a vow to Yahuwah your Elohim, do not delay to pay it, for Yahuwah your Elohim is certainly requiring it of you, and it shall be seen in you. So, so, so basically, we see here the importance of vows, that if we make a vow or we make any kind of oath or any kind of agreement, we need to walk the talk. We need to fulfill it. It says that we do not delay to pay it. In this case, for Yahuwah, your Elohim is certainly requiring it of you. And if we don't do it, if we don't pay it and we break our word, it will become sin unto us. 
But let's continue reading. It says in the verse 22, but when you abstain from bowing, it is not seen in you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall guard and do. For you voluntarily bow to Yahuwah, your Elohim, what you have promised with your mouth. So what, what I found interesting here, just to, to, to in this extended uh, understanding of vows and agreements and uh, oath, is what is written in the verse 22. It says, but when you abstain from bowing, is not seen unto you. So, so basically, in this portion, is opening the door that we will have the chance to abstain from bowing. And this is exactly what the Yahushua was saying in the in in the book of Matthew, Matthew Yahu in Hebrew, chapter five, verse thirty-four to thirty-seven. So, so he, from my point of view, he is uh, referring exactly this. It's better to abstain from bowing and to, to say that our yes needs to be yes and no needs to be no. It says the following in the 34 or chapter 5. But I said to you, do not swear at all, neither by the heavens, because it is Elohim's throne, nor by the air, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great sovereign, nor swear by your head, because you are not able to make one hair white or black. But let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. And what goes beyond this is from the wicked one. So, so... I do believe that Yahushua was basically referring himself to exactly what is written in the book of uh, Deuteronomy in the verse 22, that we have the chance to abstain in by, uh, of vowing. But even though if our yes is yes and our no, our no is no, there is a kind of commitment. It's something that we are committing to do. And according to the portion that we are talking now, we need to deliver it according to our commitment. If we say something with our lips, with our mouth, that word that is going out of our mouth we need to fulfill it. And, and, and this is so serious and so important that uh, we, we see um, several examples throughout the scripture. And I want to mention some of them and we can go to, to, to the specific uh, books to, to check what it means and how Yahuwah see these vows, agreements, and oath as something so important. So the first one, is uh, the first example is about the uh, Rahab and the spies, and this is in the book of uh, Joshua, Yahushua in Hebrew, chapter two, verse twelve and fourteen. And we know the entire story about uh, how the spies went to Jericho in order to capture the city. They met the uh, Rahab, and uh, she saved them from the from the persecutors. And they made an agreement. And this is exactly what we're going to read. is about the agreement they made. So starting in verse 12, it says the following. And this is uh, Rahab talking to the spies. It says, Now please swear to me by Yahuwah, since I have shown you loving commitment, that you also show loving commitment to my father father's house, and shall give me a true token, and shall spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters, and all that they have, and shall deliver our lives from, from death. And the men said to, he, to her, Our lives for, your, for yours. If you do not expose this matter of ours, then it shall be, when Yahuwah has given us the land, that we shall treat you in loving commitment and truth. So, so we see here exactly what we read in the, in the portion. There is an agreement, uh, an oath, between Rahab and the spies, that 
they are not gonna they are gonna save the Rahavs and the uh, and her father's house from the coming uh, takeover of the city. So and and this uh, this sweating and oath between them is clearly seen here. But also there is a way out, and this is interesting when we see it in this example. If we continue reading in the verse 17 to 21 on the same chapter, it says the following. And the man said to her, we are released from this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household to your own home, and it shall be that anyone who goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood is on his own head, and we are innocent. And anyone who is with you in the house, his blood is on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you expose this matter of ours, then we shall be released from your oath which you made us swear. And she said, let it be according to your words. And she sent them away, and they went, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. So, so it, it is interesting because, you know, this is the expanding understanding of the all that they sweared between themselves. Basically, what uh, Rahab was asking, what these uh, spies committed, and also the way out uh, in case they can be released of the oath. And uh, we can remember that uh, if we go even, even further in this chapter, uh, that uh, this uh, uh, oath was kept by the spies because it was an oath uh, being done under Yahuwah Elohim, as is written here. So, so this is the first example that we see an oath uh, being put in practice and the importance of it. The, the second one, we see it uh, in this uh, same portion in the chapter 32 of Numbers. And this is really interesting because, you know, later on, I think in the book of um, uh, Joshua as well, we see it fulfilled, how this oath it became so important that later on they use it, the, the tribe of uh, God and the tribe of uh, Reuben, uh, in order to remember something really important in the future. So this is in the chapter 32 of Numbers. Verse twenty to twenty-seven, and and there are multiple things in this uh, in this uh, chapter as well that maybe we, if uh, we have time I will refer to. So it says, and Moshe said to them, "If you make this promise, so so Moses uh, uh, pushed them to make a promise. If they wanted to have the land beyond the Jordan, they needed to promise. They needed to swear something. So so this is what Moses uh, pushed them to do." If you make this promise, if you arm yourself before Yahuwah for battle, and all your armed ones pass over the yard before Yahuwah until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land has been subdued before Yahuwah, then afterward you shall return and be guilt guiltless before Yahuwah and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before Yahuwah. But if you do not do so, then see, you shall sin against Yahuwah, and know your sin is going to find you out. Uh, and let's, let me let me go down uh, because if we if we continue to the verse thirty one because of sake of time we see that what was the answer of the children of God and the children of Reuben it says then the children of God and the children of Reuben answer saying as Yahuwah has said to your servants so we do so we see here 
an agreement, a covenant, an oath between these two tribes in order to inherit the, their portion of the land. So, so and the, if, we, if we go further in the, in the history, in the scripture, we see that this oath was something so important that they needed to fulfill it. Okay? Another example, and this is going to be relevant, but uh, what I'm going to share next about the uh, defending Messiah is uh, the covenant between Jonathan, Yahunatan in Hebrew, and David. And this is in the book of First uh, Samuel, chapter 20th. Verse 12 to 17. And it says the following And Yahunatan said to David, to David, Yahuwah Elohim of Israel, be witness when I search out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day and see if there is good toward David or David, and I do not send to you or disclose it to you. So let Yahuwah to do, uh, do so and much more to Yahunatan. And if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I shall disclose it to you and send you away. And you shall go in peace and Yahuwah be with you as he has been with my father. And listen to this, what is written from 14 onward. It says, but show me the loving commitment of Yahuwah, not only while I still live, so that I do not die. And do not cut off your loving commitment from my house forever. No, not when Yahuwah has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Yahunatan made a covenant, and listen to this, they made a covenant, an agreement, made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Yahuwah shall require it at the hand of the enemies of David. And Yahunatan again made David, David swear, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own being. So there is a covenant, and the, uh, David swore this covenant to Yahunatan, to Jonathan, that he was not going to touch him nor his house Whatever, and uh, the last example that I want to give here, the, the last two examples about the, the importance of an oath, is uh, the covenant between Israel and the people of Gibbon, and this we found it in the book of Joshua, chapter nine, verse fourteen to twenty. And just to put our, ourselves in context, the, the people of Gibbon were the one that they guys they, they disguised themselves like uh, people coming from a far place. They put old clothes. They they were coming with uh, old food and so on. So so the people of Israel uh, didn't uh, understood that they didn't realize that they were the neighbors. Uh, they were Amorites. So that was the context of the chapter nine, and I invite you to read it in context entirely. The chapter nine just to to, to understand better what I'm, I'm sharing. But starting from the verse 14 on, where we see the covenant that was done between them. And it says, And the men of Israel took some of their food, but they did, did not ask the mouth of Yahuwah. Just a parenthesis here. It's so important here that we always need to ask Yahuwah. Every time that we don't ask Yahuwah, we commit mistakes. So, so in this case, Israel committed a huge mistake because they didn't ask Yahuwah. You know, for the times that we're living, especially, we need to ask Yahuwah for any step that we want to make in order for him to guide us on what we want to do. Mm -hmm. So let's continue reading. And Yahushua, Yahushua, made peace with them and made a covenant. Again, they made a covenant with them to let them, uh, to them, to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. 
And it came to be at the end of the three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. And the children of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibbon and Kefirah and Beherod and Kiryat Yearim. But the children of Israel did not strike them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by Yahuwah Elohim of Israel and all the congregation grumbled against the rulers. Listen what the rulers said. But all the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by Yahuwah Elohim of Israel and we are unable to touch them now. Let us do this to them. We shall keep them alive. Let wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. You know, in just these few words, we see uh, uh, the importance of what is coming out of our mouth. If we committed to do something, if we vowed to do something, if we made an oath and we make a covenant for something, we cannot break it. Uh, and to the eyes of Yahuwah, this is something so important. So how how this how we can connect all this understanding about the importance of the oath, the importance of the covenant to defending Messiah and understanding how Yahuwah could accept human sacrifice uh, whatsoever. You know, because we were discussing this about, about this uh, last week, I was bringing this point. And I just was to complement with this understanding. This is the way that I was able to see it and I want to share it with you today. So, uh, we have two examples, and we know that the, in the mouth of two or two or two or three witnesses, we can establish any truth. This is the instruction we see throughout the entire scripture, and is what we need to follow in order to establish something. So, the first example, I want to go to the book of uh, Judges, Shofetim, in Hebrew, chapter eleven, and this is a famous story, and we were discussing most probably last year about this but it's important to bring it in the context that I'm sharing now about the importance of vows. Uh, and it says in the chapter 30th about the story of Jiftah uh, in Hebrew and his daughter. It says the following in the chapter 30th and 31. And Jiftah made a vow to Yahuwah and said, if you give the children of Ammon into my hands, then... It shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to beat me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall belong to Yahuwah, and I shall offer it up as an ascending offering. So, so what's the critical aspect? Is that he made a vow to Yahuwah to offer an ascending offering of whatever is coming uh, out first from his, uh, from his house. So the importance of the vow that even he mentioned it again in the verse 34, Let's read from 34 to 35. It says, And Jiftah came to his house at Mitzpah and saw his daughter coming out to meet him with trembles and dancing. Now, except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to be when he saw her that he tore his garments and said, Oh, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me. And I, I have given my word to Yahuwah and I am unable to turn back. The same words that we saw in the children of Israel about the Gibbonites, that they, they cannot break the word, the same thing, the same understanding he's saying here in this case. And we know what happened at the end. He needed to fulfill his vow. And we here we see the first example of a human dying because in this case of a vow. 
The second example is exactly what we were reading last, last week, and this is in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 21. And we'll see here the interesting thing about vows and how this is connected to uh, defending uh, Yahushua's sacrifice. So let's go to the book of uh, 2 Samuel, chapter 21. And we were reading the entire story about that there was a scarcity of food in the chapter, in the verse 1 and 2. And Yahuwah was telling David that the scarcity of food is, in the, in the verse 1, is because of Shaul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibbonites. So let's continue reading the verse 2. The sovereign therefore called the Gibbonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibbonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protect, protection to them, but Shaul had sought to strike them in his ardor for the children of Israel and Yehuda. So we see that Saul broke the covenant between Israel and the Gibbonites, what the elders, you know, didn't do because they knew they knew that wrath will come upon them. So Saul didn't listen to this and he broke the covenant and he killed the Gibbonites and that's why it was scarcity of food. But we see more covenants happening here in this chapter. And this is so, so interesting because when you, when you go to the verse 3, we see David uh, telling the Gibbonites, what should I do for you? He opened the door to make a covenant, to make an agreement. And with what do I make atonement so that you bless the children of Israel, of Yahuwah? So, so he was opening the door to make a covenant between them and him in order to do atonement, to uh, get rid of the plague, of the scarcity of food. And we see how they close the covenant in the verse 6. It says, let seven men of his sons, the Gibbonites speaking, be given to us, and we shall hand them before Yahuwah in Gibah of Shaul, whom Yahuwah chose. And the sovereign David said, I give them. So uh, David closed the covenant. He made a vow. He made an oath with the Gibbonites in order to make atonement by people dying, in this case, the house of Saul. But what is important, you know, and, and this is for me was interesting to see it, that the, it seems that the uh, vows cannot overwritten. And why is that? Because if we read this verse 7, it says the following, but the sovereign spared Mephibosheth, son of Yahunatan or Jonathan, son of Shaul, because of the oath of Yahuwah that was between them, between David and Jonathan, son of Shaul. And we were checking in the examples that I was providing before about this oath. So even, even that David made this agreement with the Gibbonites in order to get rid of the plague by doing atonement, there was a previous oath between Jonathan and David that David cannot break. So, so we see the importance of oath, even in this case, that cannot be overwritten. If we promise something, in this case, David to Jonathan, he was unable to uh, broken down because you know, the importance of the covenant. So, what is uh, all of this about, you know? Uh, and how this applies to Yahushua. Last week I was uh, was saying about the, the atonement, people dying in order to make atonement. But the whole context of this is about vows, something that is going out of our mouth that we need to fulfill. So, who made an important oath with us? If Yahuwah, and let me put it in this way, if Yahuwah is setting, setting the, the example and distraction to us about the importance of oath, with more reason, he will move ahead. He will fulfill 
and he will act according to the same instruction. So everything that is going out of the mouth of Yahuwah, he will fulfill it because he doesn't change. And the, the first example that we can see in this, that he mentioned and he made an oath, and that an oath that he will fulfill, is we see it here exactly on the chapter 32 of uh, Numbers. And you know, for me, this is so amazing because he's, he's setting us the example of what we need to do and also the importance that we need to restrain and be very, very careful on what we see, what we what we say, and what we commit to, to do. Because as soon as we commit it and the, the words are going out, we need to fulfill it. Because Yahuwah is doing it. And this is the way that I see it, you know, the sacrifice of Yahushua being acceptable, acceptable because of the oath that Yahuwah made with his people, Israel, and the importance of the vows according to the eyes of Yahuwah. So in the chapter 32, verse 10 to 11, We see here uh, a positive, and not a, not that a positive oath made by Yahuwah, but for some reasons. So what I'm talking about, let's go to verse 10. It says, then the displeasure of Yahuwah, this is Moses uh, talking about, uh, talking with the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben, uh, saying the following, then the displeasure of Yahuwah, remembering the, the history of with the first uh, generation, actually, it says, then the displeasure of Yahuwah burned on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Not one of the men who came up from Mizraim, from Egypt, from 20 years old and above, is to see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob, because they did not follow me completely. So, so we see here, Yahuwah raised, raised up his hand in an oath in order to let the first generation die in the wilderness because of the rebellion. And he fulfilled it. Yes, he fulfilled his word. But even in this portion, we see about uh, an oath between Yahuwah, Abraham, and Yishak, and Jacob, and this is the eternal covenant. So Yahuwah will fulfill his word because of the oath he has with Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob for the eternity, because he followed the same level of instruction that he's given us and the importance of the vows. So just to give some example how this applies to Yahushua, there's a an oath and, and uh, uh, a covenant from Yahuwah that he's saying that he will cleanse us. And let's, I just will give a few examples just to understand and have the full picture that most probably you, you already got it. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 22 onwards. Chapter 36? Yes, 36, Ezekiel. And it says the following, Therefore say to the house of Israel, That said the master Yahuwah, and listen to this, That said, these are words that are coming out of the, word, of the mouth of Yahuwah himself. Well, I will not do this for your sake. Uh, verse 22. I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my set-apart name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I shall set apart my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am Yahuwah, declares the Master Yahuwah, when I am set apart in you before their eyes. And I shall take you from among the nations. He is promising. These words are coming as a promise from his mouth. It's a vow. It's a covenant. It's an agreement an oath between Yahuwah and his people that he will regather us in the second exodus. So 
he will fulfill his word. But well, let's continue reading. I shall take you from among the nations and I shall gather you out of the lands and I shall bring you into your own land. And listen to this, and I shall sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols, I cleanse you. And I shall give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I shall take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And I shall give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit, my ruach within you. And I shall cause you to walk in my laws and guard my right rulings and shall do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I shall be your Elohim. And listen to the verse 29. And I shall save you from all your uncleannesses and I shall call for the grain and increase it. And I shall bring no scarcity of food upon you. So what is the covenant and the agreement and the promise from Yahuwah that he will cleanse us, that he will put a new ruach, a new spirit between within us, that he will uh, forgive our uncleanness. And what was the sacrifice of Yahushua? It's exactly for that. How was the purpose and how Yahuwah was going to do that is by cleanse us through the blood of Yahushua HaMashiach because there wasn't other option to do it. So he bowed something to us and the way to do it is by accepting the human sacrifice of Yahushua HaMashiach that he bore our sins upon his shoulder and was the perfect atonement in the same way that we see it happening in this story with the Gibbonites, that they were the atonement uh, because of the uh, breaking the covenant and breaking the vow. So what else we can think, you know? Yahuwah said that he will take his wife again. And we know that according to the scripture, after the wife is divorced, it's not possible to take her uh, uh, once again. And if we go to the book of uh, Hosea, this is clearly seen over there. Let's go to the book just to remember ourselves uh, the, the the words written in the in the in, in the scripture. This is in the book of Hosea, Hosea uh, chapter two, verse nineteen to twenty-three. It says, "And I shall take you as a bride unto me forever, and take you as a bride unto me in righteousness and in right ruling and loving commitment and compassion. And I shall take you as a bride unto me in trustworthiness, and you shall know Yahuwah." And it shall be in that day that I answer, declares Yahuwah, that I answer the heavens and they answer the earth. And the earth answered the grain and the new wine and the oil. And they answered Israel. And I shall sow her for myself in the earth. And I shall have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I shall say to those who were not my people, you are my people, why they say my Elohim. So how Yahuwah was going to do that if he committed and this word came out of his mouth about an agreement, a covenant to us. How was supposed to do that by the sacrifice of Yahushua HaMashiach? So, so how to understand and how to, how to understand that the human sacrifice of Yahushua HaMashiach would be acceptable of Yahuwah because he himself made a vow with his people. He made a covenant, you know, an oath, an oath with the forefathers, with Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. He made a covenant in the mountain, Mount Sinai with uh, his people Israel. And he made all these promises with, by the mouth of the Nevi'im, the prophets. And these are something serious according to the word of Yahuwah that we see in this portion. If it's something serious that we make the covenant, it's more serious when Yahuwah is speaking something because he will fulfill it. So in order to make this word to happen, you know, I have more, more things here. You know, he promised to renew the covenant in, in the book of Jer uh, Jeremiah, chapter 31. 
also he made a covenant with Aaron that the, from his seed there will be a priest forever. He made a covenant with David that the, from the seed of David there will always to be a king sitting on the throne. So how he supposed to fulfill all these words? The only way possible. Now that we see the truth according to the entire word of Yahuwah is by the sacrifice of Yahushua HaMashiach because of the vow he made himself and the oath with the forefathers. So this is what I wanted to share, Rob, about the vows. If I can spend just two, two minutes more. Uh, I just want to, you know, because the chat room is going all crazy about uh, human sacrifice and stuff like that. Um, you know, for me, Isaiah 53 uh, just as a slam dunk right there. I mean, he says right very clearly that the Lord Yahuwah has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you go through it, clearly somebody is paying for the sins of others right here in Isaiah 53. That There's this suffering. We recognize a suffering servant as Yeshua. Yeshua right. is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He's the one who's whipped and beaten and is... His visage is marred so much he's not even recognizable. He's the one that dies for what? The chastisement of our sin, right? The chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes we were healed. The Lord had laid on him the iniquity, iniquity sins of us all. I mean, how do you get around that? For when he, uh, verse 10, yet it pleased Yahuwah to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. His pleasure Yahuwah prosper in his land. I mean, the whole chapter is about that. Seems to be pretty clear. Yeah, you know, and Rob, when we understand this, that if Yahuwah is demanding us to fulfill our words, the importance of the oath and the covenants, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be much easier to understand that if he made a covenant with us and he promised something, he will fulfill it for sure. So, so and, and connecting the dots that the only way that he was going to be able to do it is by Yahushua dying in the cross is the way to understand how his own sacrifice as a human being was acceptable on his size. You know, it's because of the importance of the oath and the words that are coming out from our mouth. It's not that Yahuwah is demanding to do human sacrifice, not at all. Actually, he's against that. Correct. But 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 if because of the oath, the only way to do it is because, because of the oath that he swore with the forefathers. Understanding it from that point of view is much easier to see it. And 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 together with what you were reading in Isaiah chapter 53. It's much easier because Yahuwah, Yahushua put on his shoulder the sin of everyone. You know, he became sin. He he bore our sins. And the, as the, the, the Kohanim, the priests, were doing it. And we spoke about that uh, two weeks ago, most probably. That, you know, the Kohanim, the priests were the one bearing the sin of the people. So, so it's also a, a very beautiful picture to see how Yahushua... By, by reading Isaiah chapter 50, 53, we can understand he is a priest, a priest forever, you know, according to the order of Malkisek. So the last two things that I wanted to share very shortly uh, is, a, is a foreshadow that I see that is so beautiful from my, from my point of view. 
And this is uh, the story of all the two two tribes, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad in the chapter 32 of Numbers. That re reminded myself of what it means to follow Yahushua. And uh, it's, it's so interesting. We, we read it just a few minutes ago, but I wanted to read it again. In the chapter 32, verse uh, 16, uh, it's basically is what uh, the two tribes promised in order to inherit the portion beyond the Jordan. And this is exactly what they said in the chapter uh, 32, verse 16. It says, Then they came near to him, to Moses, and said, Let us build sheep enclosures here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But let us ourselves be armed, hastening before the children of Israel, until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the walled cities, because of the inhabitants of the land. We shall not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. So, so what's the picture that I didn't see in the past and I was able to see it today? It's a foreshadow of what Yahushua is asking from us. You know, if we want to follow Yahushua's steps, you know, we need to love him even more than our own families, our father, mother. You know, if we are not able to leave our father and mother, we are not worthy of him. So, so we see exactly the same thing happening here. You know, in order to get inheritance of the land, these two tribes needed to leave everything. They needed to leave families. They needed to leave houses. They need to. They need to. They needed to leave uh, their their own possessions in order to arm themselves and going with his brother as one body, one man, in order to inherit the land. You know. And, and the most interesting point is that, you know, at the moment they crossed the garden, who was the one leading the way? It was a man called Yahushua ben Nun. You know, so, so we see the same picture in the words of Yahushua HaMashiach, that in order to follow him, we need to be willing and prepared to leave everything if it's necessary. So, so, and, and for me, this is so important, especially for the lives, uh, for the for the time that we're living today. And we were speaking about uh, at the beginning of this broadcast, is that we need to be prepared for that, especially, you know, with all the division that is coming today. We need to stand in the rock, no matter that the winds and, 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 and waves are coming on the way. We need to stand in the rock uh, in order not to be moved, in order to stand firm. But uh, also remembering that even if divisions are coming, we need to be prepared to leave everything in order to follow Yahushua HaMashiach, because he is the one who will lead us on the way in order to inherit the, the promises of Yahuwah. So, and, and we have so many examples throughout the scripture, prophets, the disciples, even the disciples telling Yahushua HaMashiach, saying, but, the, but Master, we have left everything for you. And what was the promise of Yahushua? That everybody that has lived uh, something on this life, it will inherit double even more in the coming kingdom. So, so this is something that I found so encouraging when I saw it that I wanted to share. And not only that, you know, uh, and, and this is something that is also related to what we were discussing at the beginning. Uh, the instruction they said in the chapter, in the verse 17, says, uh, but let our uh, let us ourselves be armed, hastening before the children of Israel. You know they were going to the battle. 
even even uh, even Moses, if we wrote some verses uh, uh, more, he's talking them that they needed to go and join their brothers to the battle. And th this is something that we need to keep in our hearts. You know, we are called to be peacemakers. Yahushua said that, uh, you know, we're peacemakers, we're being uh, to be called sons of Elohim. But our battle is not physical, it's spiritually. And most probably, I do believe that in, in the coming time on tribulation, most probably it's not going to be spiritually only. It could be physical as well. Uh, and we see the example here. They said that they were they were going to arm themselves and join their brothers in order to inherit the land, even in order to inherit the portion that they wanted to have. So, so let's keep in our mind and our heart that we need to be prepared for the battle, for the spiritual battle first, and then for the physical battle if it's coming. And that's why when Paul was talking about that we need to put ourselves the armor of Elohim. This is something that is in the book of Ephesians that we need to remind ourselves and we need to pray Yahuwah in order to prepare us for the time that is coming, in order to be with this armor in us, in order to move ahead in the battle in the same way that we see it here of the children of Israel preparing themselves in order to be armed for the battle, in order to inherit the promises. So, Rob, Jake, this is what I have to, to share today. I think uh, this is a call for action also for us, for the time that we are living, in order to be prepared for what's happening. Yeah, man, I think that uh, takes us out here. Um, we lost Jake. He dropped off. I was looking to see if he texted me. He, he didn't, but I guess he may have lost signal or otherwise had to go because we've gone that's a little probably. bit over time here. Uh, can you send me a link to that video again? Um, uh, yeah. I seem to have it readily available here. Let me see. Um, I guess you could put it in the private chat maybe. There you go. There you have. Cool. All right. Then I will close this out with that. And um, do you know uh, Sean Griffin of Kingdom in Context? Uh, personally, no, but I have seen some videos from the channel. Yeah, you guys should connect. Uh, I think you guys would have a good conversation. He was stating that he was confused by what you were saying in um, was it Judges 11. Uh, I get what you're saying because of the context we've had in previous broadcasts and other discussions we've had, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, maybe you guys can chat or something, or you guys can get into the discord server and, and have some extended sure. conversation on it. Um, sure. let me put my, my email address in the, in the chat. Uh, so, so he can contact me there. Yeah, cool. Sean. So he's going to post that for you. I, I, I don't think anybody's saying anything differently, but you know, I think we're in agreement. I just, I think that, there's been some cross chatter and some misunderstanding perhaps, but uh, that could be cleared up easy enough. Let me switch this over sure. here and uh, stand by a second. And we'll close out with the new remix of the ironic blessing that includes Spanish. Thanks to Juan Carlos last week. And um, anybody out there who's musically inclined, I was talking with Jake about this. Uh, you know, if you're musically inclined, great, go ahead and do what Juan Carlos did and give us the uh, same thing in your language. If you have another language other than the Hebrew, English, and Spanish we have so far, so French or Italian or whatever other languages out there. Uh, if you're not, if you don't have the ability to produce the music but can sing, uh, Jake was talking about maybe finding a way of either getting with Adam or doing it himself. 
getting the uh, music out to you so you can just sing along with it. But whatever the case may be, here is the ironic blessing in Hebrew, English, and Spanish.
Awesome. Truly beautiful. Thank you, Juan Carlos, for joining us. Thank you, Jake Grant. Thank you, everybody in the chat room. And uh, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. We'll see you back next week. Shabbat Shalom.